0: Welcome to Season 10 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. This is the last in our Women's History Month series, and I'm thrilled to be able to top off the series with Sarah Borwell, who has done the podcast in the past, but not in a while, so I'm happy to have her back on. Before I tell you about Sarah and bring her on camera, I want to just A, remind you that the video version of this podcast is available on ParentingAces.com, and the parenting aces youtube channel if you're listening on one of the podcast apps and you want to put a face to our voices go check out the video on one of those two places also if you haven't already become a premium member of parenting aces what are you waiting for we want you to come join us go to parentingaces.com, click on the join button and you'll be able to see all the options available to you We want you to become a member. We've got lots of discounts and freebies and cool stuff available to our members only. So take a look at that. Also, our online shop is now live. We've got our merch with our new logo on it. So hopefully you'll come shop Buy something for yourself, for your favorite coach, your favorite parent, your favorite player, and let's rock the new Parenting Aces logo together. All right. That said, let me tell you a little bit about this week's guest, Sarah Borwell. Sarah is from... Our neighbors across the pond, she is from the British Isles and grew up playing tennis there and realized that in order to continue her development, once she finished with her junior career, she should come to the States and play college tennis in our system here. And we're so glad she did. She wound up coming to the University of Houston on a scholarship and Then after graduation, after a successful career in Houston, went out on the pro tour, and she reached as high as 65 in the world, and she was the British number one on the double side. So um, pretty solid player herself. After her, her pro career kind of wound down, she really became passionate about helping other student athletes from her home country learn about the different pathways available to them for tennis and so she ended up founding a company in 2006 which kind of morphed into her current company which is called tennis smart and that is a company that is really dedicated to helping place british tennis players into American colleges and also to help them understand the different pathways available. Most recently, she has partnered up with Barry Fulcher, another Parenting Aces podcast alum, To Create Student of the Game. And she'll be talking about that today and sharing with us the work that she's doing with British tennis players, even though she is now based in the States. Um, So I'm really thrilled to have Sarah on. Let me just get her on screen. There we are. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Lisa. How are you doing? I'm great. You're coming from D.C. area, right? I'm
1: in a rainy D.C. today, so we're we're waiting on spring here.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm coming to you from sunny Southern California. No complaints. It's a little chilly, but the sun's shining, so I'll take that any day. I was <laughs> <laughs> So, tell us about I mean, you've got Tennis Smart as your your kind of name tag up there. Um tell us a little bit about Tennis Smart, the work you're doing with British tennis players and why Americans need not feel threatened by what you're doing in terms of their kids getting those coveted college tennis roster spots and scholarship dollars.
1: Well, I guess when I was on the tour, I kept having a lot of young British juniors who were dropping out of school and kind of weren't excited about continuing education. They actually didn't really know about the American system, and I would just talk to them when they were 17, just about all the options. And they'd be like, no, I'm going pro. And then at 19, they'd come back to me after a year on the tour, realizing it's not glamorous. You don't make that much money. It's very lonely. And it, I did it at 22 with a group of college friends. I couldn't imagine doing it at 18. So it was becoming, well, depressing to see all these mm. kids who were 19, they were kind of that had to then become coaches. And I think if you want to be a coach, it's a tough job. You've got to be passionate about it. It's not kind of something because you've got nothing else to fall back on. So I started really being um, quite loud about the pathway that I went on and just all the academic routes, uh, the rules that you had to follow, the eligibility issues. And that kind of snowballed into Tennis Smart. And I, I was looking back through all the... I remember being at the U.S. Open when I was injured and just writing down all these lists and goals that I wanted my company to kind of achieve. And and it was hard because it was just me helping British players into America. But Barry, I've known for years and we both have the same work ethic, passion about helping tennis players. And so teaming up with him has been great. And we've kind of been able to go off and do the things I've been wanting to do for so many years with Highlighting all the various pathways to British tennis players, because many of them just think it's the tour and or bust,
0: and that and that's kind of the problem that we have. Right, and Barry has been instrumental. Blah, blah, I can't even talk today. It's, it's been a it's been a morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> Barry has been instrumental in creating tournament series in the UK and really creating play and competition opportunities for players of all levels to hone their game, to earn prize money, to um, pursue their tennis dreams. And now the two of you are partnering up together on kind of this little other tangent, student of the game. And I'm going to just throw the link up on the screen there. Um, so for those of you interested in seeing what this is all about, here's the link on your screen you can click. But Sarah, tell us, you know, you, you and I both have mentioned these four pathways. What does that mean? What are the four pathways?
1: Well, I, I guess in 2010 when I started Tennis Mark, my... First concern was obviously American University because I'm a product of it and it changed my life and I just think it's an amazing product but I also know that it's it's not for everyone there's there's certain people certain juniors who probably are better suited to go to a British university maybe you're better suited to stay in the tennis industry but no one was kind of aware of any of them and it, it wasn't really made clear as a junior you weren't sat down at 16 and said Okay, these are the pathways you can go pro. But if you go pro, these are the attributes you need. Ideally, you want to be top ten in the world. You want to be winning junior grand slams. You probably want about a million dollars in the bank if you want to really go for it. And and those things were never discussed. If if you don't want to go pro at 18, are you not ready? We've got the British University pathway, which is excellent. Which role? pretty clear about because it's in the UK and we know about the universities or you've got the American university route or if you have no desire to go to university you're kind of sick of the academic route but you're passionate about tennis or staying in the sporting industry then we've got that tennis industry route and and so that was kind of my main goal was to just make parents, players, coaches, everyone aware of what was out there and working with Barry has just been great because I've been able to kind of say, this is what I want to do. Do you want to do it with me? And he says yes to everything. And it's (laughs) incredible. And so we've been kind of slowly building the student of the game where we have these tennis camps. And just as we did the other day online, where we introduced the four pathways virtually, we introduced the four pathways in tennis camps where you can meet people from various pathways while competing um and the utr event so you can raise your profile for utr so that's kind of where we're at right now and we're just we're ready for covid to be over so we can actually (laughs) host the camps in person
0: yeah i feel yeah um yeah i've been down in san diego at the itf i'll be covering the easter bowl when this airs and uh yeah it's a different different feel around these events right now for sure yeah. So who's your target? So so right now I, ideally we
1: want to talk to players as young as 10 years old and their parents because as a parent you see the costs that tennis involves and you just think gosh is it is this a sport really what what, what am I going to get from it when I'm going to plow in all of this time and money. So we feel it gives the parents peace of mind saying look if you get to a certain level it actually doesn't have to be that high but you have these different pathways available and I've known Barry since I was 10 like Dan Kinn and at Soto I grew up with him all of my very good friends are all tennis friends and that's kind of what we want to hit home is that it's such a great vehicle for life with maintaining friendships and networking and, and so that's kind of the main thing Kids who are as young as 10 are great to hear about it because it gives them a spring in the step and think, mm-hmm. oh, wow, I can I can achieve something that um, Sarah Ball went to college or Josh Salisbury or Dom Inglot. There's all these college players now, especially on if coming out of British University as well, who we can see as role models rather than just kind of I want to be like Andy Murray, but he's pretty special and that's probably not going to happen. So we want to make sure parents and players are aware, but we also want to make sure that club coaches are aware so they can sit down with all of their players and say, hey, as a club, we're really invested in your future. Mm-hmm. And this is your developmental pathway.
0: And this is how we want to help you reach whichever pathway you go along. I love that. You mentioned British University as one of the pathways of the four. And I want to just let the audience know that we have a podcast coming up in a few weeks that is going to explain the British university system to all of you. Um, I learned a lot when I recorded that podcast. Um, And so I think it's going to open people's eyes to an option that they may not have even known existed as I didn't. So pretty cool. I, you know, the fact that you're targeting families with players as young as 10 years old, I think is brilliant because one of the things that I saw happen in the U.S. is coaches and other kids, other players, other parents are really, they look at college tennis in the States as D1 or bust, right? If you don't play high level division one, tennis at one of the power five conferences that, you know, it's a fail. Right. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for my son, anyway, you know, I didn't really start understanding the variety of college experiences that a player can have here in the States and certainly didn't know what was available overseas. Um, And I think the sooner we start indoctrinating for lack of a better word, the families into this notion that it's not just D1, that there are so many cool opportunities to play mm-hmm. tennis and get a great education. And one of the things I love about following you on social media is you really do highlight players that are doing all different kinds of things with their tennis, not just the ones that are have signed to go play at a top D1 school.
1: Yeah, And it's actually, we have the same problem in the UK as well, where when you first start talking to a player, they say, well, I only want to come if I'm going to a division one. And then I have to explain, well, it's not like the Premier League in soccer. You don't get relegated down or promoted. Some of the very worst universities for tennis and academics are in division one and some of the very best are in division three. But you have to find the right place for you. And as long as you're looking at the coach how they communicate to you, are they developmental, if that's important? The schedule, can you win matches on it? Where are you going to play on the team? Do you want to be number one or would you rather be four or five? Um, does it have your degree? Are the academics the right level? Like, Do you want uh, a high level of academics, which is testing? Or like me, I actually prefer the tennis side of things. The location, does it have really good internship opportunities for you so you can make your resume look good to... So, Once we start looking at all of these different variables, then players tend to find the right place for them. And I have players going off to some wonderful Division 3s in August, and they're really excited about it. They know they're going to get a great education, really good tennis setup, and they're going to be able to network and once they graduate, find a great job afterwards. And I think that's kind of dispelling the myth of it's D1, even, yeah, Power 5. Or would you rather go to a really high level mid-major like Tulane, who have an incredible schedule, but they also have the opportunity to win a conference, to go to NCAAs, just giving them all this information that they actually don't have. But I think the ITA are doing an incredible job now with kind of the websites a lot better with highlighting all the different divisions and just making it clear that look, there's actually some really great setups in different divisions.
0: You just got to kind of look for it. Yeah. And, and we talk a lot about um, being careful about choosing a school for the coach because coaches leave. And the last thing you want to happen is to, you know, get married to this notion of going to play for a particular coach. And then the summer before your freshman year, lo and behold, they've retired or they've moved on to another program or whatever. Um, and so you know, I think there's so many factors, as you mentioned, that families need to take into consideration when choosing a college tennis experience. There's a reason that they're called student athletes and not athlete students. And I say this all the time, you know, at some of the top D1 programs, they really are athletes first and students second. And so if academics is important, to you as a player or to your family, then you need to be aware of what emphasis is placed on which aspect of your college experience. And is there time for a social life? Is there time to join a fraternity or sorority? Is there time to study abroad? Um, These are all factors that need to come into play. So Sarah, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the clients that you're working with currently and how COVID has impacted the work you're doing and, and how people are assessing these college tennis opportunities.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a really tough year for the placement. It's yeah, I, I work seven days a week anyway, because I enjoy my job and I love helping, but I'm having to constantly think about where to place players because we had I don't know what we're at now. Seventy teams were cut, and yeah. players got their year back, which was a nice was nice. But it, for me, I don't think it was a, a great decision that everyone. It's going to affect until about twenty twenty four kids coming in, which which I think is difficult. And so it's been an incredible, incredibly difficult year for the uh, fall twenty twenty one players trying to find them places. A lot of the Division twos, which I always go to because I know they're great setups, budgets have been cut. So these players now are having to pay more, which we don't have to save for university in the UK because we have access to the student loans. So a lot of the time that can actually price players out as well. So I think the one good thing is the fact that we're about to come out of kind of tennis lockdown March 29th and Barry has so many UTR events lined up where we know we can move the UTR up pretty rapidly if we compete. Um, so it, I'm hoping my August 2022s will actually, we can kind of get the UTR back to where we need it. But f- for the fall 2021 players, it's, it's been tough for them, and I, I, f- I feel for them, because you, you've had to have conversations where normally they might go to a power five, but, because everyone's recruiting grad students, all of those power fives are the strongest they've ever been, and now you've got to really have the conversation about look mid majors are amazing opportunities. here's why but it, so it's it's even more talks about standards and what's happened and it's it's been trying for I find it very difficult, and I know players and parents have as well.
0: Sure. Do you think that we're going to see a vast increase in the number of kids entering the transfer portal? I mean, we've already seen it this last year, but moving forward.
1: Yeah. At one point, I think there was 350 women in the portal, which is scary. Um, Maybe because I think a lot of especially the teams where this year they were allowed to have 11 full rides on the roster and a lot of those kids coming in might never get to play. So I I think it's going to be, it's going to be very trying till 2024 and then it's going to level, hopefully level back out. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good place to be right now with trying to find what, because it's going to be very different to what you've
0: always expected you would get. Right. Let's go back to student of the game and your your newest endeavor. Um, Can you talk us through your camps? What do they involve? What's a day look like for somebody participating in one of your camps? Once you're allowed to have them in person. (laughs) I know. So basically, uh,
1: we know how important the entrance exam is, the SAT and ACT, but it's a bit like we know how important sports psychology is for tennis, but Even I didn't pay extra for it when I was on the tour when it actually probably would have changed my career path because it's something that I needed. But it was another cost which I just felt I couldn't afford. And I think it's the same for the entrance exams where tutoring is quite expensive. And as a parent, you think, oh, gosh, I'm not sure I can afford £100 an hour to study for an SAT. So a lot of players don't do it in the UK, even though you do well on it it could save you $16,000 and it could open up loads of different doors for tennis so our first camp was actually surrounding tutoring where you would get 4 hours of tutoring and 4 hours of tennis on the saturday where you'd have 2 hours of tutoring then you could go off and blow off steam with a a really good coach so learn learn something on the court come back to the tutoring and then again, you'd, you'd be back on the tennis court. So that was the Saturday. But within that, there were, there were Q&As with former British and American University student athletes. So we had Julian Cash, who went to Oklahoma State, did a fantastic q and I wasn't in the room, so we just said, look, you can ask anything, even if it's about partying and social life, which they ordinarily wouldn't ask me. So it was a really great session. And then we... Um, with British University coaches, American University, asking loads of questions, and then a presentation by me just to kind of make it very clear as to what to expect. And then on the Sunday, we had a college style dual match between all the players. Where they, it, it, it's difficult when we first get here, where we, we're not used to being so kind of like expressive and fist pumping and cheering. And so we we wanted to make it as loud as possible. So we had the music going, we had the national anthem beforehand, we did the old school introductions, and then they competed as a team and they got their UTR rating points as well. So it was a jam-packed weekend, and, but the feedback for that was so positive. And, and because we wanted the atmosphere to be kind of, I didn't want it to be how when I was growing up, you'd get invited to a camp and you'd feel kind of judged and it was incredibly stressful. We wanted it to be fun, and I, I want you to laugh and joke on the court. But as long as you're kind of listening and and understanding and coachable, then that's great, and and that's what we kind of found. And because it was so good, we, me and Barry, being me and Barry, where we just then have loads of different ideas. We said, let's do a different theme for each camp. So we have Andy Murray's fitness trainer, Matt Little. He's going to come in. Richard D'Souza, who is a sports psych and help Johnny Marry. He'll come in. Johnny Marry will come in, who won Wimbledon, to do double specialism. So we have all these different weekends available to players who ordinarily wouldn't normally have access to kind of a Matt Little. So... We're really excited about them, and hopefully, we can begin at the end of May with a, a tutoring camp. And where are the camps held? Um, we're going to tr- we, we've been at University of Sussex before, which is close to where Barry's set up. Um, we have really good access to obviously the facilities at the university, but we're actually going to try and take it around the country, where each county. Um, so I'm from Durham and Cleveland, which is in the north. Each county would maybe host us once a year where it can be a big carnival event where it's a signposting event to all of their county players of this is what's available come and join us for the weekend so they're going to be around the country in different formats
0: basically and they're open to players uh, starting at what age
1: I th- well <laughs> we want because indoor access in the UK isn't easy right. We, We've kind of set it up where if we have four indoor courts, we want no more than 24 players. So we'll probably look at level first, where we have where it's at everyone's a similar level. If it's a tutoring, you're using UTR as a gauge yeah, or? Yeah, currently UTR and then okay. WPN if once that kind of comes in as well. Um, but it just depends on the camp. So tutoring, you're obviously going to be like sixteen because that's when you start preparing. Mm-hmm. But it will we'll probably base it on level first so that it's it's really good. Um, but then, if you want to come along and listen to the presentations, then players can do that as do that as well.
0: So it's not just for players who are looking to come to the states to play college tennis. It's for players looking at all four of these different pathway opportunities, correct?
1: Yeah, it's just it's just a way for everyone to kind of think. Because at, at 15, I'm sure it's the same in America, we have a 50% dropout rate in players because academics start becoming very stressful and you start thinking, well, what's the point of spending so much money and energy on tennis if I'm not going to go pro? So we, we think we're hoping that by signposting all these different pathways in an enjoyable environment, then we might actually that dropout rate um, at 14 I actually wanted to quit as well I wasn't particularly enjoying it and I wasn't aware of the American system I just I had a good social group and a good group of friends which kind of kept me playing and I know how I felt at 15 with competing the anxiety that it brought it I it wasn't fun like I didn't mm-hmm. enjoy it, but it was my friends and my tennis club which kept me going. So we're trying to kind of get that message across that, look, you don't have to compete every single weekend. You don't have to play 20 hours a week, but if you do quality over quantity and you have a clear grasp of where you're going, then anyone can continue on in tennis. And it's just, it's a great vehicle for
0: life really. For sure. And I think, you know, it's interesting that you've kind of identified these four different pathways um, obviously, the British University and the American University are very similar in, one, in the respect that you're pursuing your academics and your tennis at the same time, but also the industry pathway that doesn't involve the educational component. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what opportunities are available for those who choose not to go down either American or British University pathways?
1: Well, we like we work with Cliff Drysdale Tennis Management, who have the really good year course where you can learn all the different parts of tennis industry. We have we do tennis um, with Nigel Hunter, who was on the other day presenting for us as well. So we do, we just kind of want make to make British players aware that you've got your if you can do your LTA Level One Coaching Badge, then that's going to open up different doors for you, different networking potential, and. And that's kind of the thing. If you can say yes to everything, can have a good work ethic, be personable, be positive, then then anything's possible in the industry because then you'll just keep kind of dotting around. But the main thing is to say get your LTA Level 1 coaching badge and then we can broaden your horizons with that basically.
0: Got it. And the LTA Level 1 coaching badge would be comparable to a USPTA or a PTR
1: Uh, the first level of, yeah, it's the very first level. I think it's kind of over a weekend. So a lot of the younger kids, like 14, 15, you can do it and then you'd work your way up, but it's, it's a great thing to kind of do initially. And then like my mum was a mini tennis coach for 25 years. She had a lot of the volunteer, like younger players on who would help. And it was just, it was just a great way to kind of learn and understand what the industry is all about And a lot of my days, who want to get into, I'm just like, look, you've got to network. You've got to say yes to everything. You've got to be incredibly positive. And then all these different doors will open.
0: Yeah, I love that. What challenges are you finding, if any, now that you're based in the U.S., but you're, you know, running these programs and trying to impact athletes in your home country? Um. Other than the time difference. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard now.
1: I've come accustomed to Zoom a lot, but um, I would go over every three months. So we would would make sure that we have like the UTR events with Barry where we'd either have one of my ambassadors there who's gone through Tennis Smart and who are just really good role models who can talk about their experience. But I'll be over there quite a lot anyway, either at the UTR events um, that we host as kind of showcases or just um, with our camps. And I spend a lot of time speaking to parents on Zoom or on the phone, just kind of making sure that we plan ahead. And And then it's nice being over here because if there is a problem, I look after them until they graduate. And mm-hmm. so I think it's always nice for the parents to know that I can talk to the coach. Like a lot of the coaches know me as a friend, so I can actually call up and be like, what's happening? Because... Like, I'm I'm on the side of a coach being married to one and I'm also on the side of the player. So if there is a disconnect with both, I can say, look, let's, let's try and figure this out. What, what do you need me to do? So it's nice, I think, to be in both, both countries.
0: Yeah. And I was getting ready to say that, that, you know, when you have a player that you have helped get to American university, the fact that you're here, um, you know, at most, what, five hours time difference from them, if they're, I, well, I don't know what the difference is to Hawaii, but um, but at least you're within a phone call and certainly within a plane ride easily of them getting to you or you getting to them. And and the fact that you do have this network of coaches that, you know, and that you have relationships with and that you're married to one um, certainly helps. Um, and I would think gives comfort to the parents, too, knowing that their child has an advocate over here that's looking out for them.
1: Yeah, I, I hope so. I think I think that it does, just knowing that it's college tennis, things always go wrong. There's always going to be something which happens, which is stressful. And as a 19-year-old away from your family, it's up to you to deal with it. A coach will very rarely call the parents to right. tell them what's happening. So as a 19-year-old, it's nice for them to say, hey, Sarah, this is happening. And I'll always be very blunt and I'll be very honest. I, I'll be supportive, but if they're just being 19-year-olds and kind of not seeing the bigger picture, I'll be like, well, actually, the coach is right on this. (laughs) That's how it is, and you have to learn. Or if there is a a truly a a problem and it's probably not going to work its way out, then we'd all get on a call with the parents and kind of figure out the best path forward. And I I also kind of – if a player isn't playing on a team – where most of them do, but if for some reason something's happened, we can always kind of, I can give them a dialogue to say, look, don't say why am I not playing. Say, okay, what do I need to do to get better? And so I'll give them ways to communicate to the coach, which might actually help the relationship.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. What are some of the toughest challenges you've seen with British athletes coming to the states to play? and go to college um
1: I think the biggest thing well it was the same for me as well in the UK we kind of have a well I guess over here your coach is more like your boss and there's a very clear line between player and coach and there has to be just because well of the world we live in nowadays where if there is a problem you probably get sued so there has to be that clear line you've got to be careful with it that's a bit of a shock for us because we do have probably a, a bit of a more kind of friendly relationship with the coach because they are a private coach. You can have a bit more of a laugh with them. And I think initially coming over, you want that same relationship and you don't understand that actually you are kind of being employed to compete and to be a good student. And so that aspect of it might disappear. Now, by the time you're a junior or senior, you've built up such a good relationship with them. You'll refine mm-hmm. it, but in a way which is probably different to what you've been used to. And, and I, that tends to be a, a big problem, just kind of the communication barriers maybe in the relationships. And then getting... To grips with having to shout and fist pump and say "come on" and shout someone your teammate's name, and warm up. That can be a bit, <laughs> a bit <of> shock. <laughs> so I think uh, coming from the UK where we don't tend to do that. I remember I, I was when I was on the tour. I went back to train at a university and I took Emily Webley Smith mm-hmm. and we were both practicing. And everyone, everyone obviously warm up. We we're just in the service box. We we're just shouting each other's name they'll be like let's go Emily and she's just like, oh. <laughs> just weird. And I was like yeah but you'll love it by the end and she's like okay but it is a bit kind of like what's going on but then within a year you've got like Dan Kinnan, and who is at Soto he played at LSU ripping his shirt off and like throwing it into the crowd and it's amazing but coming from the UK it's very different to what we're used to
0: That's so funny. What about the academic differences? Because the UK academic system is so different from the American one.
1: Yeah, it's, it's tough over here. Well, it's probably, we probably find it a little bit easier because you get, you do testing over here so frequently. So for GCCs you'll be studying for like two, three years of work in one or two exams, which is a, a lot of amount of studying and preparation, but here, you might study for three chapters, do a test on it, and then you can kind of discard what you've learned. So um, I Brits tend to find the education side okay. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as they're in the right. Like, I went to Rice my freshman year, and um, I shouldn't have been at Rice. Academically, I wasn't good enough, and I felt it incredibly overwhelming just trying to keep on track with the amount of work I got. And that's why I transferred um, but generally, I think we find the setup of it where you're doing exams quite frequently, a lot less taxing than uh, GCSEs or A-levels, really. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, we spoke about it on the virtual webinar the other day, just how a British university, you kind of, it's more, you don't have to go to
0: class. It's self-directed. It's. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a oh, semester yeah, in the yeah, UK. Bed, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, you, you can, if you want to go to class, great. If you don't, that's fine. Yeah. A lot of the bulk of the work you actually do yourself. Um, so, and Dan Little spoke about it, who was at Utah. And he goes, yeah, sometimes I'd turn up and the coach would be at the classroom just making sure I'm going in, which you wouldn't find in the UK. So right. I think it's that kind of change, which you have to go to class all the time because there's a lot of work. You get a lot of grades for attendance and stuff, which is very different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of touched on this earlier in the conversation and I want to come back to it before we wind up. And that is why should American families not look at what you're doing as a threat to having opportunities available to American players? Um.
1: I, you just if we didn't allow internationals in you would have about 20 tennis teams really cuz it just wouldn't be com- competitive um so like i'm at maryland right now and we know that if we want to compete with michigan or ohio state then our top 3 might have to be internationals cuz we know northwestern wisconsin michigan academically and just facilities might be a bit different to what players are looking for so in order for us to have the type of kind of products that we have now which is incredible and nowhere else in the world has it you have to allow those internationals to come in in order for it to be competitive now I think the problem happens is when an American might think well I want to go to Duke and or UNC or a a school where obviously we know about them in the UK, the name is there. We know about them. But in uh, international, they might be happy to go to places where an American wouldn't. a bit just, Well, one, because we kind of don't fully understand the system, but we're just kind of <laughs> excited to get. <laughs> I remember when I turned up back in the day before internet, I just got a media guy. And I was just like, okay, like Houston looks great. And yeah, it's a big city there's a yeah. lot to do there that's uh, <laughs> warm exactly so so in order for tennis to be really competitive and to hopefully be a good product good enough where the TV wants to start showing it, you have to have these internationals coming in and there's so many there's so many incredible opportunities out here in different universities, but it's just kind of branching out and maybe
0: looking for them. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I don't want to forget the piece of expanding the American players experience by being on a team, living in a dorm, traveling with players from other countries, other cultures, getting to know them, getting to understand how they're the same, how they're different, and I mean, this is what leads to, you know, it sounds so cliche, but it's going to lead us to world peace, right? If we have a a knowledge and an understanding of people from different cultures, especially our peers, and especially starting in those really important years of 18 to 22. I mean, it's amazing what can happen.
1: Oh, no, for sure. And I I just think, it's just it's such a fabulous opportunity for everyone, and so to have to have such good competitive teams all over the country, it, it, it's that's why people come and see. So see, so you kind of without without us, you'll you'll have the Power Five, and that's kind of it. Which which is obviously what we're all we don't want to happen because having seen seventy teams get cut it's incredibly worrying. So we want to make sure that product's the best it's going to be. Knowing that even now there's coach is looking for players. And so there's, right. all, there's always places for you to go. It's just whether you, do you want to be a key player on the team and have come out having graduated and for people to want to employ you because you've been the very best player you've left a legacy, or do you want to just go to university but never actually get to play. So it's all of these different things that you kind of have to think about. what's going to be most enjoyable and better for me when I graduate.
0: And I think there's a lesson there for American families listening to this. And that is, you know, just because a school is one you've heard of and, you know, whose team has performed well, doesn't necessarily mean it's the right fit for your family and your child. And there are a lot of schools that... Like Sarah's saying, you know, you may never have heard of them or you may not really know much about them, but they may wind up being the best fit for your kid academically and tennis wise and yeah.
1: financially. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's if you look at all the variables and kind of take those into account. Like for me, I played one pretty much. Well, I did five years because I redshirted, but I pretty much played one throughout my career But right now I have a lot of conversations with players who are saying, oh, I want to be number four on the team initially, be surrounded by good players. I'm just like, no, when you get there, you're going to be, because you're so competitive, you want to be one. Like never, don't be afraid to go in as number one, because then you get the possibility of getting ranked, going to nationals as an individual. And so there's just all these different things that it's good to talk through and because, for me I would if I had to redo I wouldn't ever I don't think I would have made it as a professional tennis player if I'd played at a top 10 school and I was number 4 or 5 I think for me with where I was with my confidence um playing one actually gave me that confidence that everyone had been telling me I was good but I I never really believed it but being one and beating ranked players and then I started to believe so I think looking at all the different variables is what's going to help you have the best experience.
0: And understanding, too, that if you are number four on the team, you are playing the number four on the other teams. You're not playing the number one on the other teams. So if you want the highest level of competition, if your goal is to continue to get better in college and either prepare yourself for a professional career or just challenge yourself to get as good as you can get, then the higher up you are in the lineup, the higher up your competition is as well. And it's going to push you to achieve that level.
1: Yeah. And and that's the thing, like you're going to be surrounded by great players anyway, even if you are one, the number two and three is still going to be going to push you day in, day out. But if you do want to go pro having the mindset of, okay, I want to be one at some point in my career early on where I do get tested by other players who have the same mindset of wanting to go pro. Because I, I think when I finished, I was number eight in the country and all of those, it was B. Bielik, um, Jess Lenhoff, that, that year group, all of them, well, they went a lot quicker to top 250 than I did, but they all went top 250 within kind of six months to a year. So to be able to compete against people like that, each week is pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Sarah, what else do we need to know? I'm going to throw your website back up for people that may have missed it earlier. But um, what else you want to tell us? Um,
1: <laughs> I just think if you can, like tennis, as a junior, tennis is hard. And I think over in this country, it's even more difficult because there's so much it's such a big country you have to travel. Like at least for me in the summers, I actually traveled on my own with my friends. I didn't go with my parents. So I think as a junior you've just got to kind of accept the fact that it is, it is quite a stressful sport. An individual sport's always going to be difficult. But if you can play it for the right reasons and have a very clear plan. As an American you can always go to a British university well as well if you want to look into that. So I think just recognising the fact that tennis is a vehicle to kind of, one, having good networking potential, but also making friends for life. And and that's when I kind of, like at school, I was always, I, well, I didn't particularly like school, but once I found my group, which is my tennis friends, that's when I actually started. I was quite shy growing up, but I actually found my group, right? It gave me the confidence and I felt like I'd found my people kind of thing. So, That's the main thing. Just kind of have a very clear idea of the pathways and know that junior tennis is hard because there's so many different variables you can't control. But just try to enjoy it and try to compete as much as you can. But if you can't do it every weekend, then that's okay as well.
0: Yeah. Love it. For those of you who are interested in finding out more, I encourage you, if you're on Twitter to follow at Sarah Borwell, this is her Twitter handle. She's pretty active on Twitter. <laughs> she's she's about as active as I am. We're both on there all the time. Um, but make sure you give her a follow. And again, uh, if you want to find out more about student of the game, then here's the link to do that. And I, I encourage you, even if you're not a British player, if you're American or you're from somewhere else, um, there's some great information on her website, and um, it's information that translates across all nationalities. It's not just for British players. But, um, Sarah, thank you so much for taking time out to join us. I know you're so busy with your kids and work and (sighs) – (laughs) yeah it's it's been a crazy year but um the lights we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel i think and um i wish you continued success with all of your endeavors and next time you talk to barry tell him i said hello i see him on twitter too but um, that's about it i thought i worked hard
1: but barry is just he's got so many different things going on he's amazing so i it's, it's nice to work with someone who's that passionate about just helping others
0: Well, you both have this incredible work ethic and it shows in everything that you undertake. So, um, for the students that are working with you, the players that are working with you, they are very lucky that they found themselves with you as their mentor, their guide through this process. And, um, I'm really grateful that you've taken time to share your knowledge with us. I always love talking with you and uh, wish you all the best. And to those of you watching and listening, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you have heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.